Mafiri. Welcome to the show. Let's pan on this way to Poulin and Larry. So it kind of looks a little bit different. We know we're missing a really big part of us. That's Manny. He's already gone. He's left. And we might also look a little bit different because Miguel's not here. So there's actually four of us and we were joking around. We were saying that it needs four of us to make up uh, make up for Manny and uh, Senyot. But we're here and today we're going to be talking about um, the H2B visa. But before we do that, we're going to do all of our, um, as Pulin says it, time na plugs, our shameless plugs. Uh, before we begin, uh, Albert will just go ahead and talk about our Fanatsu Patreon to remind you guys about how you can help us. Definitely. So uh, again, don't forget, um, become a Patreon on uh, fanatsu.com slash Patreon. Um, and so for the we have three tiers to our Fanatsu uh, podcast. We have uh, our Hutsa tier. That's uh, for a dollar to nine dollars a month. Uh, you get um, uh, the podcast, um, the recorded podcast. Um, and then for uh, 10 to $14 a month, that's our Hutsa tier, uh, Hugo tier, dispensa. And that's for um, our radical um, history uh, segment with uh, Miguel. And then for our last tier, our Tulu tier, it's 15 to $20 a month. And that's um, our radical reading uh, segment, again, with the Snyat Babakwa, right? So uh, definitely tap into all those three tiers. Um, some great uh, material there uh, that will really um, encompass everything that we talk about uh, in our podcast today. All right, so before we begin, Poulin is here. He just came from recording his YouTube show, which he can tell you more about. Mm -hmm. No, it's on you. Hi. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, what she said. So um, <laughs> if, you, if you're interested in learning the Chamorro language, if, if you're interested in learning the Chamorro language, and if you want the lessons to be broken down, you know, very uh, grammatical based, I do that. So check out Poulan Speaks on YouTube, P-U-L-A-N-S-P-E-A-K-S, Poulan Speaks. I not only just make a Chamorro lessons, I also make other videos pertaining to the region of Micronesia from a a Micronesian and Islander-centric perspective, such as I already made a video called What is Micronesia, where I explain what is the region of Micronesia, and I always will cite my sources and use academic sources. And my next video series coming up is What are Laddie Stones? So be tuned for that. So again, if you want to learn tomorrow, check out Pulen Speaks. All right. Thank you very much for that. Um, so I guess we could go ahead and get started. So today we're going to be talking about um, the H2B visa ban. Do you guys know much about it so far? Have you guys been keeping up? Can someone explain that? All right, I'll go ahead and explain that. Thank you. So uh, recently the Guam Homeland Security, or not Guam Homeland Security, sorry, the Department of Homeland Security, um, they recently announced that Philippines is no longer part of the H-2B visa. So that means um, the, like, for example, H-2B visa workers, usually um, 
workers from construction companies uh, are no longer allowed to work here on Guam. Sorry, I'm just gonna pick up the mic. Um, are no longer to work here on Guam or to come and apply for the visa to work here. Um, so, of course, there's a lot of kind of uproar with that in regards to like the construction companies because as we all know, there is the military buildup happening and there are a lot of other projects on Guam in terms of economic buildup, right? We have like the hotels going on and all of that. Uh, so it's something that a lot of people have been talking about and something that our governor, Magalaha, has addressed how she says she's trying to really fight and to seek exemption from that new law, right? Um, but what do you guys think about it? There's been a couple of news stories uh, that have come out, right? Have you guys read any of the ones recently? Larry or...? Um, I mean, I haven't been so... Um... <laughs> educated on the issue, but uh, for me, I could see a lot of similarities between um, what happened in CNMI with the federal involvement over there in their immigration system, um, which wasn't exactly um, detailed in their covenant agreement with the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, of course, with their um, construction going on in terms of the casino over there, uh, also their tour tourism industry, there's this conflict of having priority for the local uh, skilled workers, but then also they do need the foreign skilled workers mm -hmm. to, you know, keep up the construction of those industries. And um, it's just, especially when it's something so sudden to be uh, interfering with the construction and um, that, that industry, it's just, it's hard to figure out how to cope with that. Right. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's the issue with us creating that, uh, those skilled workers too. Yeah. We don't really have those trade academies in place and our system in place to, uh, you know, produce those skilled workers. And we need them right now also. Mm -hmm. So for us to be denied, uh, you know, these workers from the Philippines, it, yeah. it takes a toll on us and uh, for sure yeah. right so actually in one of the articles um just i think it was posted a couple days ago uh they interviewed um this one individual and he was saying i could read i could actually quote him from the article and you guys can tell me like what you think about um his statement so uh the article is called h2b bands have far-reaching impact, says Guam Contractors Association. Um, so this one man, I think it's Mam, Mam Sars? Caesars, Mam Caesars? Not too sure, pardon me. Um, but he does say, he says that the problem isn't that Guam has no native construction population, but that Guam specifically lacks carpenters, carpenters iron workers, and cement masons. Um, so, he also says that uh, these types of labor traditionally trained for and performed outside are trained for and performed outside in the heat. Um, it's hard to come by residents willing and able to pursue these lines outside of outside labor. So 
what do you think like what kind of um underlying assumptions do you think that has like what do you think he's trying to say what would you say what do you think that's definitely um that's that's pretty tough to take in that's kind of like saying um we 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 definitely enjoy the aircon and you know we're not um built enough to you know uh work outside in such conditions right that he's stating um i i think it's um I think a lot of times, I think we forget um, how definitely how important it is to have these trades, you know, um, for ourselves to kind of be able to um, contribute to the government, to contribute to the, the system, the society, uh, kind of like micro and dirty jobs. He talks about how um, dirty jobs are, people overlook them. Um, he gave the example of uh, a, a welder and um, he said, you know, well, uh, you know, people who want to be in offices, who want to shoot for that career and be in, um, you know, in the, these nice skyscraper buildings, they forget that they needed that welder, that skilled worker to be able to uh, be in that skyscraper, right? So again, it's really like um, maybe readjusting how we, how we view uh, success and how we think, um, uh, you know, where we should definitely start to prioritize uh, trades um, as our skilled labor as a as a outlet for those in high school uh, going coming out of high school or, you know, who don't want to go into like college right right away. So I think we were talking a little bit about that right over lunch. So, yeah, um, for sure. We were saying like, because Larry, you were mentioning stuff about how we don't have um, the workforce, or at least uh, not that we don't have, but we're not providing, at least our government's not providing enough resources to to create yeah, trade, you know, right? There's not really so much encouragement to go into trade. Yeah. There's not really a incentive, I guess, for people to go into it. Mm -hmm. But then also the article, it kind of sounds like, you know, we're incapable of uh, actually being able to build stuff or like you know mm. have our own uh infrastructure but then when you think back to like like from my grandparents they built their house and yeah mm -hmm. it was like you know they actually built it from the hands it's not yeah. something that we can't do mm -hmm. uh i think it also goes along with uh how tomorrow's were actually like encouraged to go more into like these office jobs and you know mm -hmm. be a eight to five worker instead of doing the physical stuff and then now it's like people have this idea that we just like to stay inside. <laughs> where do you think that comes from though? Like where they uh, think that? Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Poolin? <laughs> <laughs> what do I think? Wow, that's a good question. <laughs> well, this is coming from someone who did not read any of the articles. <laughs> does not really know about, much about this topic, but, but just based upon the idea of you know, why, why is there this perception that Chamorros like to stay indoors? We rather have office jobs, you know, instead of working outside. And and I would actually say there there is a, a hint of truth in that, mm -hmm. in the sense, I mean, if you were to go to the, the average Chamorro, you ask them, hey, would you rather, you know, work outside, you know, in construction for $8 an hour, or would you rather work in indoor in an office job for $8 an hour? You know, yeah. I'm, I, I didn't do any sociological surveys on this, but based from my experiences, I would say that, 
you know, a great deal majority of Chamorros would choose the latter. They would rather mm-hmm. go inside and work uh, those jobs. But however, though, I, I would say that the issue with how this person framed the article is that Chamorros, for some reason, are incapable of doing the other. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's that framing that Chamorros are somehow these, oh, you know, we're better than everyone. We, we, can't, we can't work outside mm. because we're so conditioned to this. I think that's the issue, the way he's wording it and framing it that way. Because mm-hmm. this idea, you know, that, you know, we, you know, we, we want to stay indoors. We want that. Like, I'm gunning for a professorship here at UOG. Yeah. You know, that, you know I, I think this comes from this, uh, you know, the whole idea of modernity. You know, mm-hmm. since the time of our grandparents, and even their great grandparents, you know, they've been constantly told by by the colonizer, you know, euphemism, you know, mm-hmm. Americans, they constantly tell us, oh, you know, you're, you're brown, you know, white, that's good. So they internalize these values that, sure. oh, Clen, uh, you know, Anne Hattori's book, uh, Colonial Disease, that's a very good, that strikes directly on this topic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so these values that Chaboros have internalized, you know, in generations since our grandparents' time, since the Americans came, I think really contributes to this understanding, this idea that Chamorros just want to stay indoors. Chamorros would rather stay light-skinned. Because I'm sure we have some aunties who are like, I am so dark, you <laughs> oh, know. Oh, please. Right? <laughs> You're talking to a Filipino right here. <laughs> We're like the, like, we're the country of widening soaps, pretty much, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point um, in terms of colonialism and how uh, those values have been deep-rooted for a very, very long time, right? And I think the problem is now is that we're still perpetuating those kinds of values, especially by kind of internalizing it and thinking that uh, since we cannot or others right, of a certain class, uh, should not be working outside in the sun, then we should go ahead and exploit the workers of other countries to do that for us, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really, really tough because Philippines too, um, we do have a lot of Filipino uh, H2B workers and a lot of Filipino immigrants um, who've come to Guam. Mm -hmm. And it's really for the reason to, as they sometimes say, but I kind of, it's a problematic word to say, but I'll kind of quote it like to have a better life, right? Because there's more opportunities in the land of the free. But of course, land of the free. <laughs> Don't be mistaken. Um, uh, yeah, so that's very problematic because of of our long history with the U.S., just as Guam has had, right? Um, and this will continue to perpetuate that if we continue to say that we have to rely on Filipino workers um, solely based on their ability to work in the heat or their willingness to work in the heat because um, the, the economy in the Philippines is, is terrible, right? It's hard to find a really good job. Um, oh, yeah, so what other issues do you think has this brought up for us, I guess? Like, what's a bigger underlying issue? Well, from, I mean, what I've seen with the example of Sinomai again, uh, specifically Saipan, is that uh, when the federal government did impose this ban on bringing in foreign workers, um, you know, there are already families there that have been there for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, you got to separate parents from their kids because their kids 
became Our naturalized. Citizens, yeah. yeah. Because they were born in Saipan, but the parents were still just skilled workers on a visa. And yeah. now that the federal government came and got involved, um, now they're separating families and people that already placed their roots in right. the community yeah. and have been contributing to the community. Yeah, for sure. I think I could really say, as I am like an, an immigrant, so my grandfather, Tatang, uh, that's my mom's. Um, dad, he was an H2B worker here. He was here for probably more than a decade. Um, and he even helped, he was working for Del Carmen and he helped to build. Um, Is it Nico? Uh, was it Nico? I'm not sure if it was Nico Hotel or if it was um, the one next to Matapeng. The Daichi, the old. Matapeng? Is that the Daichi scene? Holiday. The holiday. The holiday. Yeah, I think he had helped to build that. And then. My dad too, um, he was brought in by his uncle under an H2B visa, and then we eventually applied to be like US citizens, right? So yeah, it's true. It's kind of difficult when you can kind of see that there are um, a lot of people who have immigrated here and now have to be separated because of that. But what do you guys think about like the whole issue of immigration and um, I guess, what are the implications of all of this since mm. we are under the federal government? And that's kind of the one of the issues, okay. right? Yeah, that's, a, that's a very good point, uh, Sihana. Which, you know, whether you personally agree that, you know, we should have uh, more uh, outside workers coming in or not, the issue though is whether, is who dictates, you know, who gets to come in and not. And as we already all know already, you know, Guam is an unincorporated territory of the United States. So they have full control over Guam's immigration. For sure. Yeah. So again, whether you agree or not, you know, we, we can't do anything personally about it. And we could just see how in this case where they just all of a sudden like, what? Philippines, you're... You're blacklisted or whatever you can't start coming in do you think there's a specific reason why they would choose philippines i i have so no i'm not gonna begin to speculate i'm sure so one of you knows overstay, the answer. overstay yeah that's what they're saying yeah within the mainland u.s um there is according to what did they say homeland security um they said there is a high h2b overstay um but I think a recent article came out, I'm not sure if it was today or yesterday, um, but they did mention that um, that actually on Guam, there hasn't really been as much, or yeah, I'm not too sure, right? So the, the article said that Guam has about a 3% overstay rate. Yeah, not bad. And so that it's, yeah, that whatever sort of the, the trend is elsewhere in the US, it's not so on Guam. So right. Therefore, Guam shouldn't be affected negatively by this. Yeah, for sure. So we do have a question from Josephine Ong. Uh, she did ask, uh, how are these discussions also similar to the post-World War II military buildups conversations around immigration? And um, the second one is, how are these connected to ongoing struggles for self-determination? Who wants to take that? That's a really good question, Josephine. Could, could you repeat the question? So the first one is, uh, the first one is, how are these discussions also similar, similar to post-World War II military buildups conversation, uh, conversations around immigration? And the second one is, how are these connected to ongoing struggles for self-determination? Wow. 
you know, Josephine, whoever you are, that's a that's a very Masbunitu question. You so, haven't met Josephine yet? <laughs> probably not, I'm not. Maybe I did, but maybe I was Balatsu. But anyways, so... <laughs> Okay, so 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 one of the things to think about, right, is because there's a there's going to be a ban on these types of workers from the Philippines, but this ban exempts military projects, mm-hmm. right? So so that's something to really to really think about here is that they're saying that we need to ban these types of workers because they overstay their visas threaten the immigration system of the United States, except if they're working on military stuff, then they're okay, then they're still good. Mm-hmm. So that does make you make you think about where Guam fits into this and how um, there is a prioritization of the U.S. military's interests Interest over the interests of, of others in Guam. For sure. I think. Um, yeah, so going along with that, uh, yeah, I was also just reading how, again, uh, the USCIS, uh, so U.S. Citizenship and Immigration uh, Services, um, how they're still uh, granting H-2B visas for those um, relating to military buildup, and again, it seems like it's pushing further you know, military construction, mm-hmm. but then at the same time, it hinders local, the local economy and its growth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can see how they really prioritize what's going on on the bases and just that whole military complex compared to like what we really need these skilled workers for is like local economy and local infrastructure, local growth. And if that's limited, then, you know, how can we show ourselves that we can do things for ourselves? Mm-hmm. How can we uh, show that we're able or capable of, you know, pushing for independence or leaning off of these federal uh, dependencies? Mm-hmm. For right. sure. Yeah, for sure. That, that's <laughs> a that's a good answer there. And just to uh, jump on your back there a little. You know, the, again, like like I was saying earlier, you know, whether you agree or not that we should keep bringing in uh, more outside workers, it's the fact that this just shows how Guam is, you know, is how the current political status as a unincorporated territory actually disadvantages Guam, economically speaking. Yeah. Because this is one of those, and because economics is one of those big almighty arguments and things that people who are against independence or people who are, you know, skeptical of it always use. They're like, oh, if, you know, if Guam were to become independent, then, oh, look at this, Guam is going to fall, you know, fall in an economic crash. But right here, but there's also, you got to look at, turn the, the argument on its head. You know, what, what does Guam, you know, not able to gain by the current political status? And this is right now, which is the freedom to bring in as many workers as you want to from a, from a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And this just shows how the current political status may actually negatively <laughs> affect Guam. Right. Good stuff, guys. Any yeah. thoughts from you, sir? No, definitely. Um, and it, it really does... Uh, sorry, 
That's my question. It is clear panels. Um, there, there is a question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, are you stumped by the question? <laughs> it is. And so uh, because the issue is how is this connected to ongoing struggles for tomorrow's self-determination or, or Guam's decolonization? So how, how is it connected to our minds? I think you've touched on some ways that it's connected in, in the present, but what would Guam look like? In your mind, how could Guam be different if, um, if it was decolonized in terms of if we had control over our immigration? Right, for sure. So we were mentioning it earlier before we started the podcast, and one of the important things that we need to focus on is if um, we were to become independent, again, we would have um, an opportunity to have relationships with other countries, right? And we could really build onto our relationship, at least with the Philippines. I think that's something that's kind of a struggle since um, this issue right now, this H2B visa issue, and how um, we're prioritizing um, projects related to the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, an issue there is that we only, under the US, we're only going to prioritize the military, the military to build up, right? Um, whatever is for their benefit. Um, but in an independent Guahan, right, I guess um, something that we can envision is if uh, we could prioritize, I guess, um, Guam's economy. And we can do that really by uh, building connections with other countries and Philippines especially. And these are countries that are closest to us. Why does our relationship with someone who is just um, a few thousand miles away from us have to be hindered by the U.S.? Uh, country that is so far away, right? Um, why does our relationship with other countries within Micronesia or other international Asian countries where we could rely on for workforce or trade have to be hindered by the federal government, right? So those are those are some really good questions. Really good questions, Josephine and Mr. Leon. Leon. Yeah, and, and just to uh, to add on to that, you know, there there seems to be a strong bias against working or working with other countries besides the the u.s approved countries such as you know china for example we've seen china pumping in millions of dollars in many other countries such as in africa you know they're, they're pumping in millions of dollars in these other countries they have their own equivalent yeah. of the of the world bank there but as as we know you know there's this stigma for some reason you know which says that oh don't work with china oh they're going to scam you or they're going to do something negative towards you mm-hmm. you know they're going to they're going to just turn your whole island into whatever so i would say that you know in an independent guahan the fact of having sovereignty to work with different to have at least more options to develop economically besides relying on one single dependence model on the us i would say is again just shows how independence would equate to more equate to more potential economic growth mm-hmm. so again that's that's just one thing there so we do have like an example i think that we've talked about before in a prior mm-hmm. podcast right what was it uh, when we were discussing um palau and their uh their independence and their relationships as an independent um a nation right and uh one of so the person we interviewed he brought up um Palau's relationship with Taiwan and how um, it's a very close relationship there. And 
what Taiwan has done was um, they really uh, they built a lot of the infrastructure, like the road system. Um, they've created a lot more roads uh, for for the island, and um, you know that kind of relationship uh, has really has really um, strengthened um, their ties um, as two countries and helping one another, and it also has uh, you know dictated how they. Um, how they build relationships with like other countries, like I think it was China that was mm -hmm. coming in and you know, trying to, to yeah, yeah, how they said no to China and said, um, well, if the relationship is between China and Taiwan, we're going to definitely go with uh, Taiwan because we, they've always uh, supported us um, as an independent nation, um, you know, in building roads and all these uh, buildings in our in our on our island. So I think it's it's really it's really going to be different um, as an independent Guahan, um, uh, you know, to be able to have that. That really that that stronghold that that power to you know make that decision for your, ourselves um, yeah. for ourselves you know uh, genuinely for ourselves yeah. yeah and really be able to control our own immigration so mm -hmm. um, we do have a question very important question by Dr Michael Lohan Bivakwa <laughs> he says he was not in the room with us not in the room, at all at all not sitting in front of us <laughs> not even um, he just says, his spirit yeah his just his spirit. spirit talking to us, I could hear him saying, how can we talk about the ability for Guam to control its own borders without being labeled racist? Um, so in the comments, he kind of gave a little bit of background. He says that his grandfather was an immigration officer in Guam after World War II, and um, his grandfather had a difficult time talking about immigration without being called racist. So how can we talk about um, Guam and its ability to control its borders without being labeled racist? Which is kind of like the talk right now, right? Like, right. Um, how building a wall is racist, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but for different reasons, for sure. Right. But just again, it's like the talk, like the talk surrounding um, immigration is is very difficult and has all of these um, multi-layered issues, and it's easy to be called racist while talking about it. Right. But yeah, what do you guys think? Mm, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, uh, see, Luhan Bivakwa, that's a very good question, and. I would say that, you know, one of the the big differences, you know, you know, why a lot of people are reacting to the United States, the whole law issue and the difference between United States immigration and Guam's immigration is, again, who is ultimately sovereign in that case? In the United States case, you know, they had, you know, decades policies uh, post 1960s of, you know, bringing in other people there in the United States. While here in Guam, you know, we have we never had a say in who could come in and who could come not in and not. So I would say the question would not necessarily be, you know, like, how could we talk about immigration and, you know, and whether that's racist or not and who could come in and not. I would say that first, let's get sovereignty to, for us to dictate, you know, who could, you know, immigration for Guam and the political policy for Guam let us do get sovereignty first, then we could then the issue of, you know, is it racist or not, you know, could come in because this idea that, you know, you are automatically a racist or, oh, it's bad to say, oh, you don't want this person to come into this country, this person to not, this is actually a relatively new uh, political philosophy, you know, that, and, and it's so ironic because before the 1960s, you know, the United States, you know, they, they actually restricted immigration significantly to other countries. So while they prioritize white Anglo-Saxon and Nordic countries, such as 
those in Scandinavia and the United Kingdom, Germany, and so on, they actually completely limited in Asia, in Africa, mm -hmm. and so on, these countries. So, and you can see post 1960s, they shift that due to, you know, pressures of the Cold War and so on. And now they're telling us here in Guam that, hey, you're going to be racist, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't allow these other people to come. Another thing, though, last, last point to make is look at the size difference, really. This is just a logical thing. The United States is hundreds of millions of miles big. You know, all these other countries, whether Russia, China, millions of square acres. Guam is 212 square miles. You know, we can't exactly allow, you know, anyone who wants to come to Guam to necessarily come in and live the so-called American dream because they are limited by the space and resources that are here on Guam. While in the United States, there is tons of land and many other countries, there is tons of land that people could, you know, build their homes and get their lives. So I would say those are, you know, two of the biggest things there. You know, our land size, the land size here, you know, which is just extremely small compared to these other countries. So, and would you like to add anything to that? I think you covered it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you covered it. I think you make a really good point because it's a lot, um, the, the conversation now moves um, away from uh, discriminating against the race um, towards really making sure that you have enough within your nation to provide for whoever is coming in, right? right. Um, and that's really important. We do have some questions, other questions. Mm -hmm. um, one from Dr. Bowman, she says, can we talk about who's making money from the industries and who doesn't, who's in the low paying jobs and who takes the plum? Clearly. At least when it comes to the military buildup, it's the federal government who's making the money, right? And it's also these contractors who are who are not from Guam, right? Um, I know we have other civilian workers who uh, come in and they're contracted to work on the military buildup. Um, and so are these um, like construction companies. These are people who, um, have their own establishment pretty much. And for the low paying jobs, uh, they only see a drop <laughs> of like the millions of dollars that are made from there, right? Um, yeah, who takes the plumps and who's in the low paying jobs? What do you guys think? I already spoke too much. I think someone else <laughs> should speak. So should we get into this one? Right. What's the socialist viewpoint on industries that would work on Guam? Is that Manny? Manny? <laughs> Manny, where are you? Manny, chime in. Chime uh, in Manny. Let's hone in our Manny. So it, it is something to think about, though, because <clears throat> if uh, because we do have an example from the CNMI where they controlled their, you know, don't turn the camera around to me. <laughs> where they controlled their immigration and it kickstarted their economy but because, but it also was abused in a certain way yeah. to where they made themselves a minority, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, but the question is, so we also have to think about it's how would we create a system which wouldn't be abused by those who could profit the most from it, right? 
because you know the the CNMI they they grew their economy and their and a and a few families did really benefit from it, right? Mm -hmm. And so we would have to wonder for Guam, um, is should we be talking about a system which will continue to help the richest, or what? How could we refocus it so that we could retrain that we could be training our own labor force, right? Yeah. Because Foreign workers tend to send most of their money back, but if you train local workers, the money stays. Stays on Guam, yeah. So, and so, no, definitely. I think we were we were talking about that, and we were kind of talking about how um, in high school. So, like for you, you have the college path, career path, right? Then, how about for those who are not really certain that college is where they want to go, right? And uh, on Guam, especially, they it's it's. It's a real easy option um, after high school or throughout high school with, with JRTC programs, uh, ROTC programs that they already have the mindset like, well, if I don't go to college, I can go military real mm -hmm. quick, right? Um, and we were thinking like, hey, why don't we, why don't we um, create a program uh, for high schoolers, right? Who don't feel like they wanna be, who don't feel like they wanna be uh, going through the college path um, and say, hey, okay, well, your option then is um, to attend a trades academy, right? And say, for example, it's a four-year program or a three-year program, and uh, one and a half of those years, our backdrop keeps falling. Uh, one and a half, one and a half of those years is going to be, um, you know, the basics of the trades. So you kind of like college, I get the intro classes, right? Uh, so you could definitely t see if you're um, uh, where your interest is at, and then. Um, and then after that, you make a decision, right? So uh, are you going to further pursue the trade or um, are you going to attend college? Or your third option would be, as an independent Guahan, will you join our, our, our force, right? Our military force, our Guam's in military force, right? So yeah. kind of like, these are just ideas really. Yeah. But um, so you know, to kind of keep them uh, train, you know, we end up training our own mm -hmm. to promote our own, right? And then to kind of have that money, you know, circulate back to Guam. So, like, if they do take up the trade, then they become our skilled labor, right, mm -hmm. for our, for Guam. Yeah, right? and I think other people um, just within our comments have mentioned uh, the importance of maybe really um, prioritizing the pay, higher pay for uh, trades workers. I know um, that's really important, right? And mm -hmm. I think another thing that we could do um, in addition to that is right now, we do have people who decide to drop out of high school, right? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like sometimes for good reason because mm -hmm. maybe it's mm -hmm. not really their interest, right? Yeah. Maybe like learning about US history is so freaking boring, you just wanna drop out of high school. I certainly felt that <laughs> way. <laughs> or learning only about US literature mm -hmm. is so dry that you just wanna drop out, right? Mm -hmm. It's a joke, but anyways, um, <laughs> there are like deep underlying issues and sometimes really it's hard to get the motivation within high school. There are a lot of things within sometimes um, family um, obligations are there mm -hmm. where you just have to work um, and instead of going to school or uh, a lot of other um, like social issues, right? But I think something that could be really important is hopefully advising individuals who do decide that they need to drop out and advising them and maybe really connecting with the Trades Academy and helping them get the training to be um, in, in a trade. 
mm. right? Because that way they're not stuck working in uh, food and uh, food and bev industry, right? F and B or <laughs> not you <laughs> or um, like. Yeah, so they have an opportunity to really uh, work their way up and really have a career um, uh, in construction or in plumbing or in elec uh, as electricians. And those are like really high paying jobs, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Those are mm -hmm. great opportunities. Um, but yeah, we have a really long comment from Dr. Romeo Carlos. Yeah. Should I read it? I'll read it. Okay. It's a long comment, okay. It says, there are programs intended to boost the economy that have created great wealth for many, like hotel owners. Which is hard because hotel owners on Guam are not from Guam, right? They're mostly like from Asian countries, okay? So the money's not staying here. Part of the incentives required efforts to develop local management and executive candidates. Yet, for decades, that objective was never met, and no elect elected or government officials ever bothered to hold these companies to account. In fact, these companies often fail to even meet the requirements to provide living wages and benefits by keeping employment below full-time levels to avoid these obligations. That's true. With voters consistently returning to office, people who have shown no interest in following up on this, what do you think we can do to change things? Man, charge taxes on those guys because they don't pay taxes right now, right? <laughs> um, yeah, you guys want to take that one? Yeah, sure. I mean, the most of the money, most of the benefit that that we get from the hotel industry and so on is the the hot fund or the the hotel occupancy tax, which is you know when someone stays out of room, you know, they, there's a certain charge that taxes that we get. So yeah, definitely as what Sihana was saying, we need policy and and you make up a, a good point where you know the same elected leaders you know they don't bother to tackle this mm. you know we I, I don't know why maybe they're maybe they're scared maybe you know the kickbacks and so on i don't know but we need to have at least a new generation of leaders and so on to to create policy where you know where we can increase the taxes on them or at least make it a a living wage you know and make them contribute more because you know initially it makes sense where you give them tax breaks because starting a, a hotel mm -hmm. you know is difficult so but you know it's been years and years and mm -hmm. these hotels are, are now I'm assuming are profitable so you know let's let's now make them contribute back this is a two-way relationship not just a one-way street and we're gonna have to lobby our, our politicians here our our leaders to make that happen through policy and unless you know and that's that's probably our biggest hope there yeah for sure well we're coming up on 45 minutes you guys have any last words <laughs> i mean yeah, so anyway. i was just thinking you know if we can get around this whole h2 uh ban maybe this can be uh, initiative for us to actually start developing trades uh, school academies or even uh, start working on an agricultural industry yeah get mm -hmm. people to you know have that option besides school or military yeah you know definitely. there's a, there'll be options for them to go into that and then at the same time having that trade school mm -hmm. the trade schools it will help us get a local community that will be skilled workers and then on top of that you know, we could have the agricultural industry that, you know, you get local food and 
Mm-hmm. That money stays within our economy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, I agree with what uh see uh Lauren or see Larry what he was saying, which is what he was saying. And also, you know, and again like like I, I said this already like three times, but I will say it again just to kick it in you and emphasize it. <laughs> and that is, you know, whether you agree or not with you know, H two visa. You know, people coming outside here to do jobs, or tomorrow should do the jobs, or other people should do the jobs. Whether you agree or not, this whole issue comes down with who has the ultimate sovereignty, who controls the immigration. And as we could see, as an unincorporated territory of the United States, we have no such control. And therefore, you know, this is one. This is one argument, at least economically, too, that you could say that. You know, if Guam was a sovereign uh, nation state, then we could have control of the immigration and so on. And then we could have the conversation of, oh, is it racist or not? Or, oh, is this good or not? Because then we could have we could have the final decision. Mm-hmm. Great. I echo all of your sentiments. <laughs> Viva. Viva. Thank you. No, but um, sure. I really think that... It, it also starts with reshaping the rhetoric, right? Um, earlier, you mentioned um, Dr. Hattori's colonial disease yeah. and how we have all of these uh, kind of ideas that our colonizers has pushed onto us, mm-hmm. that we've kind of internalized, that we are too good to do outside work. We can't be darker because that means certain things or we can't do hard work (laughs) or we're not good enough or we cannot value our environment um, or take care of our environment and things like that. But I think it's really important that we start to reshape our values and again, start looking at how important it is to do trade work, um, how important it is to do agriculture and not look at it in a bad way, not looking at it in a poor man's way. That's one way to really reshape it. Um, And again, yes, I agree. Like uh, being an unincorporated territory really hinders all of our potential to connect with um, other countries and to really grow economically, right? So it's a conversation that needs to continue that will definitely continue so yeah well definitely and you guys made great points uh i think we definitely we really do have to um i think this is something that we would need to really lead by example i think in our own lives right Mm, um you know agricultural sustainability um definitely fishing (laughs) he's red i'm red (laughs) fishing nine hours it's crazy um so um you know, kind of showing like you know some some importance to these uh, these values in or these pockets of uh, like um, labor of, of 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 like true uh, subsistence labor for our self worth at the same time, right? So you're we really you know we're, again we're 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 trying to change mindsets, we're trying to change you know um, deeply rooted uh, uh, underlying issues, right? But um, I think. We we have a few, we definitely have a lot of younger um, younger people on Guam that are really you know trying to be self sustainable or you know growing their own vegetables and fruits and and I think that that's you know that's the way to start and you know from then on we could definitely um, you know promote more skilled labor and stuff yeah yeah definitely All right. Um, 
thank you guys. And just as a reminder, please continue to, uh, <laughs> we have a producer back here. <laughs> the producer. He's, still, he's still in the he's air. Like, Patreon. <laughs> okay, yes, Patreon. Speaking of Patreon, uh, please don't forget to continue to support us. Um, we have a lot of great things planned for you. Uh, mm. We need a little <clears throat> bit more we Money. Need more so, I so we can so, get sleeves for Larry. So, so, so next year, uh, yeah, Larry's so Larry can get some uh, sleeves here. Sleeves. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Shirt. He's really cold right now. Manhang, see Larry. Right. So we need that, and also like for just a little bit more, we'll be able to purchase um, a higher t uh, end um, switcher, so that way we can contact Manny yes. and we could fill in that void in your hearts. We all know you guys have that. Yeah. Um, and we could really uh, be able to contact um, other other people from the US. Like we really wanna be able to connect with you guys and do um, live streams with you guys. Um, so don't forget, so we have the Hatsa, that's for $1 to $9. That's the Hatsa level, you get pre-released um, shows. Mm -hmm. And then we have the Hugo level, which is Radical History, that's $10 to $14. And then we have Radical Readings from $15 to, no, for 15 to $20. $20. And for both uh, Hatsa and Hugo levels, you do see a majestic hair flip from Senor Bivacqua. <laughs> He's doing, He's it, doing right it right now. He's practicing Woo! it right now. A lot of great stuff. See, there's like sparkles and <laughs> glitter coming out on that area. It's kind of steamy over there. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> said it. Um, and if you do continue to support us, we will be able to create this super cool uh, calendar for you. The, we're, it's already in the works. We have the we're months gonna, down. You know gonna, what's going to happen. Yeah. We're going to start doing a call for audition soon. Uh, so don't worry about that. Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we'll go ahead and see you guys next week. Adios. 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 Adios.